Hello, everybody. Welcome to The B-Side. We are a podcast for the Film Stage website. And everything I say today, just imagine I'm um, saying it and I'm saying it with my butt, butt cheeks, like in uh, Ace Ventura. <laughs> That's what we're going to just imagine that. That'll be this whole episode. Um, we are talking today about the one and only Jim Carrey, James Carrey, the Canadian comedian who you know and love. And as always, I'm with Connor O'Donnell. Connor, how are you? I'm all right. I'm okay. <laughs> After these movies, I'm all right. It's fine. Yeah, this is, you know, and it speaks to, I suppose, the, um, when you do comedians, you know, because we talked about this with Adam Sandler, I do feel like, for whatever it's worth, or at least with who we've done, there is a bit of a, a range, we'll say. We can get into that as we keep talking about it. Um, but we're not alone in talking about Jim Carrey. We have a New York City filmmaker and very talented editor, raconteur, rabble rouser, <laughs> friend of the show, currently laughing, Evan Cutler Waddles. Evan Waddles, what's up, man? Hey, how are cool. we? How are you? I'm good. Uh, never thought I would like The Majestic so much compared to other movies. I had, I had that exact yep. same I, thought. Yeah, not to not to not to get ahead of ourselves, but I, now, I think we're in agreement there. I will say what's funny about that, though, that you say that I started with the majestic because uh, I had a, which is the first movie we're going to start with, I believe. Um, I started with it because I re- recalled having a like a fondness for it, which we, if you've been listening to the podcast, should not surprise you. This is the majestic is definitely a movie. I would like, you know what I mean? Just in terms of my taste, it's very kind of bad. Yeah. No, but so I started with that. And then by the time I got to the end of, so like I watched it and I was like, oh, I don't, I didn't like this as much as I used to. And then by the time we got to the end, I got to the end of the four. I was like, well, you know, that's still okay. You know what I mean? I definitely came back around for it. Um, Connor, why don't you tell us the movies we're doing today? Let's switch it up a little bit. You tell us the movies, the gym movies we're yeah, doing. Yeah, no. So we're we're doing sort of like mid to late stage um, Carrie. You know, we're sort of, he kind of was in an on and off period doing, you know, so it's post, obviously, a lot of his big hits, post Man on the Moon. Um, but, but he still kind of peppered in a couple last kind of great ones uh, before sort of, you know, maybe maybe dwindling on on the output but we're doing uh we're doing the majestic in 01 and then we are doing fun with dick and jane from 2005 and then number 23 from 2007 and then we're going to finish with dark crimes which i believe came out technically in 2016 uh yeah it was released it was released theatrically barely in in 2019 actually in the u.s but yeah like it was in festivals and came out in other places, I believe, in 2016. That definitely sat on the shelf for a long time. And like I said, it kind of it barely had any sort of box office. Um, but yeah, like you're saying, I mean, you know, Jim Carrey is interesting because he – so born in 1962, up in Canada, he makes a name for himself. 
he's acting in the mid to late 80s in like a couple of Clint Eastwood movies, which is pretty funny. He has he gets a lead role in um, a Lauren Hutton comedy called Once Bitten, which I remember was always on Comedy Central. Yep. Um, and he's in stuff like that. Like, in for example, he in the late 80s, he's in one of the Dirty Harry movies called The Deadpool. And he's like a junkie who dies at the beginning of the movie. And then like the movie starts, right? Like his death <laughs> spurs like the, you know, the conflict of the movie and the plot. And then I think he was in like Pink Cadillac as well. So he was in a couple of Clint Eastwood movies. And then in 1990, he gets in Living Color. And that's where he becomes like, who is this guy? James Carey, right on the show. And he starts, you know, he's had, had been doing stand up and he, you know, it goes on to Johnny Carson. And then, you know, that all leads up to 1994 is the famous year, right, where he makes three smash hits in one year the mask dumb and dumber and the first ace ventura all in one year right which is like unprecedented like i don't know we've said i think we've said this before the podcast i don't know that another actor has actually ever had a year like that I yeah mean, I, I mean maybe in like old hollywood technically right like if you want if you wanted to go back we, to like old studio system i'm sure there maybe. were actors that were in gigantic hits but but it's not even quantifiable in that way because the movies took so long to become hits. Sure. It's almost like like these were and movies they ran that, like, for longer, right? Like Yeah, like yeah. these three movies were hits. Like they were immediate, you know what I mean? Yeah. They might have taken a minute like to gather a little bit of steam, but you know, after a couple of weeks it was clear for all of them. And then um you know, like we talked about a comparable year kind of is in 96 Tom Cruise has Jerry Maguire, Mission Impossible. So that's like where it's like he gets the nominations for Jerry Maguire and he gets the box office for Mission Impossible and he also gets the box office for Jerry Maguire. But it's even that. That's two movies. You yeah. Know what I mean? And maybe, I mean, um, maybe Hanks, Tom Hanks might, might have been the guess, only other person but, who's come close. But, but not, what would be the year? Like one year? Not one year. Though. Yeah. No, you know that, what I mean? that's a good point. I, I, yeah, it's, it's tough to say, but it's definitely, I, I mean, it ranks him. Obviously, I think it's it's the reason we think of him as a movie star, right? Even even it, it's the kind of year you have, and then you have you know even if you do kind of have diminishing returns to to some respects later on in your career. I mean, there's a reason he's still Jim Carrey. Like, do you know what I mean? He's like it. it I feel like that year alone is just what has ingrained him in our brains. Um, obviously it's helped that he's sort of returned to success kind of sporadically since then, but I don't Well, kind of, yeah, yeah, he, so we were talking about it before the podcast. He basically had a 10 year run, right? It was yeah. 94 to 03 because, um, and, but I guess as I say that, you know, um, eternal sunshine is 04. So that's kind of a little bit of an asterisk, but in terms of like straight up blockbuster hits, that crazy 94 year and then Bruce Almighty in 2003 is his last like stratospheric hit, mm -hmm. which people, people forget that movie was like, I mean, that's like an all time box office comedy, which is so crazy, which I always love. It's because it's set in Buffalo and I, I do not think they step foot in Buffalo. Me and Connor went to school in Buffalo. Yeah. It, that's just, they filmed that whole thing in LA, which I think is so funny. There's like a Niagara Falls scene, I guess, but. Anyway, that was like a huge hit. And then 04, he has Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which of course he's people love him in and is is a great movie in its own right, but not obviously like, you know, a $500 million hit. Um, now, Evan, bringing you into this conversation, what's your history with Jim Carrey? I mean, you know, I feel like we all are of the same age. We must have all <clears throat> fallen in love with him during the 94 run. But you tell me, where did he come into your, your kind of situation? 
So I was a super weird kid and very silly. Um, and Jim Carrey was absolutely wonderful for me as a kid because I would be able to like do my silly impression of him and make kids laugh at school and stop the bullies for just, you know, another day. Um, <laughs> and so like like the mask, for instance, uh, like my entire childhood, the mask was the funniest thing in the Waddles household uh, to the point where like to this day, I'll still every every now and then text my sister and say, look, Ma, I'm roadkill. Uh, Classic. And, you know, we just it was it was great. And so like he was, uh, you know, a very beloved figure in our household. I saw the Truman Show on my birthday for my birthday uh, in 99, 98, 98. Yeah. Yeah. It's like my 10th birthday. I remember watching the Truman show at my buddy, Brian, who lived two doors down. They had the like HBO channels and, or like whatever, or they ordered the pay-per-view or whatever. And I remember watching the Truman show, you know, whenever it was available and being totally blown away by it. Um, And I think that's still my favorite of his movies. If I'm being honest, I think the Truman show, is my favorite Jim Carrey movie um, as of as of now, and um, but yeah, it's funny. I'm the same way. The Mask was also of those three from '94, the one I loved. We had the VHS. I must have watched it forty times. Yeah, I like. I always so this is a more random line, but I always love when he goes. He has he has the shitty landlady, and he's like, "All right, Mrs. Peen Man," and he like, he like raises his voice. I love like when he's like at the beginning when he's still Stanley Ipkiss, and he's like, you know, getting cu- he's like a cuckold and all that stuff. I love that stuff. Ah, oh, that movie's great. Cameron Diaz, her first film role. I mean, I think also like the, you know we were all like six, seven years old when yeah, when these yeah. three movies came out. Uh, and while as an adult, I for sure have way bigger an affinity for Dumb and Dumber. Uh, sure. As a kid, there's just a lot of stuff that goes over your head, like the cardigan pullover line, which is like one of my favorite lines uh, where, you know, the, the cops like pull over and he's like, no, it's a cardigan. But thanks for noticing <laughs> uh, that stuff that as a six year old, like. I don't know what a cardigan is, but I know that a man in green face uh, falling onto a sidewalk and peeling himself off is comedy gold. I um, that's another line. I feel like me and Connor among our work crew, we still do the uh, from Dumb and Dumber big ups, huh? Well, see you later. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Connor, were you a mask guy or were you? uh, The mask was was in heavy rotation on like sleepovers. I feel like um, when, when we were kids. That I never, I never like owned it on VHS, but I feel like I saw it at a lot of people's houses and whatnot. Um, and Ace Ventura, the first Ace Ventura, was like a big one for me when I was a kid. Also, heavy rotation on sleepovers. Um, and same thing with Dumb and Dumber. I like I didn't own any Jim Carrey movies really as a kid until Liar Liar. Um, that now see when. I- yeah, that was the one for me, if I'm being honest. That was that that maybe still is, if I'm being honest, the one I've seen the most. Liar, yeah, liar. I've seen yeah, that movie. For sure. I've seen that movie so many times. And like I mean, I can like if that movie's on, I could 
make my wife crazy and quote every single line. You know what I mean? Yeah, like right. that's the type of like I remember I had a roommate in college. Um, um, Connor, you remember this guy Bob Lockhart? We we put yep. Top Gun on. And he quoted the whole movie. And yep. I think we beat the shit out of him. Like, it was like, <laughs> dude, stop he's, he's saying, <laughs> like, stop saying he's the lines. Like, he, but it would be like that. Like, yeah. we saw, we watched Liar Liar so many times. I bet I could remember every, I like remember Sherry O'Terry would get the crazy haircuts. And remember, she was like the secretary. He, oh, she and she'd had like all ask what he thought. And oh yeah. my God, such yeah. a great movie. Um, um that yeah, was so, the, that was the big one for me, I think. But that's that, interesting. That like unlocked it all. Like I like liked all the other movies and laughed at them. But I feel like Liar Liar was like the oh I love Jim Carrey. You know? Well, and I feel like that one was like written. I mean, you know, obviously Ace Ventura two was written for him to capitalize on all of his comedy things. But Liar Liar was like the best execution of it, where they were like, so, all right, yeah. he can do like sappy, sentimental, we feel for him, but also like intense physical comedy. Uh, but also put him in awkward situations thing. And it just, it, it had everything, especially yeah, no, for an eight year old. That's a hundred percent true. And that was, and that's Tom Shadiak who that, that the director's Tom Shadiak who in his own right is a very interesting guy. He made Bruce almighty. And then um, he made Evan almighty with Steve Carell, which was a pretty infamous comedy flop because it cost so much money because of the, all the set work. Because it's, you know, it's like the Noah story, if you remember Evan Almighty. You know, for all those who remember Evan Almighty. Um, uh, I do. It's a, and, uh, arguably and one animals. of the most memorable well, titles. You're the, ti- you're the titular Evan, right? I am. Yeah. Okay. Oh, it's true. Yeah. You are Evan Almighty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, right on our podcast. But that was like, he made that movie. It was a really big kind of debacle. And then he got in this almost life-ending bicycle accident like in LA this the director Tom Shadiak and he like changed his whole life and he, he made this documentary called I think it's called I Am and it's all about how this director after this terrible bike accident and like this you know professional failure and everything he like became this very spiritual guy and all this stuff and it's actually a pretty interesting documentary I Am it's like I'd recommend you checking out just kind of a cool like interfacing to sequel you know, to I Robot it is weirdly enough they got Alan Tudyk to voice the robot in in the doc as well, and which is interesting. The follow up is weirder, where he's like, "I am not," and you're just like, "Yeah, no. that's a oh, little yeah. bit sadder. It's a little negative." Yeah. Um, yeah. He also he directed Dragonfly. Yeah, which, which we talked about yeah, which, on, on the Kevin Costner podcast. Kevin Costner, so. Yeah, he's a, he's a weird director. Like he did Patch Adams, which was a big hit, but oh. much blind, you know, because of you know it's just a weird tonal you know uh, situation there. I believe his brother was a doctor. You know, it's weird. It's like he just has had a very strange Hollywood life. Uh, that director, but anyway, um, I guess in terms of kind of using that as a segue. Um, speaking of sappy Hollywood movies, we'll start. <laughs> With the majestic, which is directed, written and directed by Frank Darabont, who you know Frank Darabont. He wrote and directed the Shawshank Redemption. He wrote and directed the Green Mile. Um, this was his Green Mile follow-up. Um, he created The Walking Dead, but then was then left. Like and it was a pretty bad exit, if I recall. He he kind of I think he left after the first season. Connor, you watched that right a little bit? Yeah, I watched the first season. Oh, so because you, yeah. you're a Darabont head. I, when yeah, he left, classic, he left. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a classic Darabont head. But um, so the majestic is a uh, it's a pretty interesting movie in some respects. It's basically a um, Frank Darabont doing a Frank Capra movie and casting 
Jim Carrey kind of as his Jimmy Stewart, um, which I think in itself is a bit uh, bold, you know, just in terms of they're not they're not conveying the same things on screen. I, that's a pretty obvious thing to say. Um, the plot of the movie is um, Jim Carrey plays Peter Appleton, who is a up and coming Hollywood screenwriter right during the middle of the blacklist, right? So it's the, I believe it's, it's gotta be the early fifties, right? And he has just, he's just, his first script has just been produced and it's this like B movie swashbuckling type of thing. Bruce Campbell, which I was, I kind of like is in the, and Cliff Curtis, I think are in the like five minute climax thing. They, they, film yeah uh, they're like in the movie within the movie basically yeah which yeah. is pretty cool and it's actually called, that's it's like, called sand pirates of the sahara which i always thought yeah. was a dope title <laughs> and I, and if i'm being honest that's kind of one of the best parts of the whole movie like it, yeah that, the whole, it's pretty fun and it's and so he's he's up and coming he's represented he's got to deal with the studio right all this stuff and then literally like in the first 10 minutes he he learns he's been blacklisted right this guy peter appleton he's been blacklisted and they want him to name names and he can't believe it. And he's just his his masterpiece script, this this uh, script called Ashes to Ashes. It's about to go in production. It immediately gets pulled from the slate, right? Ron Rifkin, who you know from Alias and other stuff, um, he's, I think, with the studio or he's one of – he's either with the studio or he's one of Jim Carrey's lawyers. I think he's with the studio. Yeah, he's the studio he, lawyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So they pull it and all of a sudden, like in a moment – Carrie's career is is done. So he goes to a bar, which is which we talked about before we started recording, is called, isn't it called the Copacabana or Coco Bongo Club, right? It's the yeah, same. It is. It's a reference to the mask. It's the same yeah. name as the club he goes to in the mask that Cameron Diaz works at, everything. And um he gets he gets really drunk and he's talking to his like fake monkey toy, you know, stuffed monkey. And um, he gets in his car and he drives drunk, not good. And he and he's like, "We're just gonna drive up the coast and just get out of here." And he drives across the worst designed bridge in the history of cinema. And he essentially, it's a bad storm. He gets pushed off the edge, flies into the river with the car, and smacks his head on like the the bridge, you know, like the stone pillar that's holding up the bridge. And he wakes up and he's in a town he doesn't know and he can't remember anything. And he's in this small town and he looks exactly like the son of one of the townspeople who died in World War II. And you learn that like almost all of the sons died in World War II in this little town. And this is where it becomes like a Capra movie, right? And and even the Blacklist stuff, there's like a Mr. Smith goes to Washington element too, but it's almost like, right, it's almost like Mr. Deeds goes to town and Mr. Smith goes to Washington kind of in one movie, right? And then they he doesn't remember who he is. They think he's the long lost son of this town, Luke Trimble, like, and Martin Landau is his father and he doesn't remember. And he's like, oh, I hope I am. And, you know, he falls in love with the town and you learn that Martin Landau and his son, Luke, ran this movie theater called The Majestic, which has since... Um, not been open for the last five years after the war because nobody wanted to see movies anymore because of all the sadness and they proceed to reopen the theater and his long lost love comes back from law school and finds that Luke is alive again. And we don't know, and we know that he's not Luke, but the townspeople don't know. And, um, and then the movie proceeds from there. And ultimately 
there is the blacklist of it all does get reckoned with as well. And yeah, I mean, it's very earnest, right? I mean, I think, so this movie cost 72 million. Um, It made somewhere in the thirties. So it did not do well. This is right at the peak of like, does Jim Carrey deserve an Oscar as like a talking point, right? Like Mm -hmm. this is post liar, liar. This is post the $20 million man where he makes the cable guy and it underperforms. That's in like the mid nineties. Which, that's a whole other thing. The Cable Guy is a pretty great movie. And it's now you look back and you watch it and you're like, wow. They, I, I think really... people have come around to it now. Yeah. But it had a bum rap, I feel like, for a long time. It did have a really bum rap. Well, I think it was rap, pretty yeah. dark for Carrie's reputation at that point. I know, but it's just to watch it now, you just go like, wow, this is just legitimately funny. You know, and Ben totally. Stiller, I mean, he's a good director, right? So that's his second movie, I believe. And he, I mean, Ben Stiller is, you know, I guess your mileage on the Walter Mitty movie may vary, but, you know, Escape from Danamora, or, yeah, is it Escape at Danamora, I believe? Like that, the Showtime series, Reality Bites. I, I believe it's Escape from New York. Is the Hey now, hey now. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, famously directed by Ben Stiller. <laughs> but like Tropic Thunder, I mean, Ben Stiller has a good CV as a director. Um, anyway... So the Majestic comes out and I think people are kind of ready to be like, oh shit, this is it. This is the Jim Carrey Oscar nomination. Like, here we go. And it just wasn't, right? It didn't hit. It's a bit sappy. And it's um, post-Truman Show, which I feel like was the at the time. Exactly. You know, yes. Right. It's yeah, it, it's, That was like drama carry gold standard. And then yeah, Majestic the comes comedy. out. And, right, yeah. exactly. Because the Majestic just, and that's maybe part of the problem. It's like, I think something that gets forgotten in when 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 because frank darabont's a very talented guy obviously right but i think when and this we talked about this a little bit i feel like when we talked about steven soderbergh doing the good german right which is him basically trying to do casablanca like straight you know he's like hey let's get george clooney and let's do casablanca like for today and then, but it just i think sometimes what gets forgotten when you do that when you try to do that is you focus on the things you remember and memory is a fickle thing. And actually, if you think about those Frank Capra movies, a lot of them were goofy. Like even the earnest ones, even the political ones, there is comedy in there. You know what I mean? There yeah. is and a satire. lot of like and like a yeah. little bit of self reflexivity. Like this movie, remind rewatching it reminded me a lot of. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, but the Preston Sturgis movie, Hail the Conquering Hero, right? Um, and it's got, that has sort of a, a vaguely similar plot. It's a little different. But, um, but it was, but like the reason that movie is effective as of, you know, I mean, obviously Preston Sturgis, one of the great directors of the screwball comedy, but like is because it's a little satirical and it, and it sort of pokes fun at some of the, you know, some of the Capra patriotism, right. And things like that. And, and I think there, to your point, there are like rose colored glasses on this movie a little bit. Oh yeah. Um, In a way that I am kind of, I'm with you dan that like you know it is just nice so there's a part of me that just kind of digested it and was like yeah this is basically harmless like i I I wasn't really like offended by the movie in any capacity um but i certainly like i i i basically enjoyed it the most out of the the four that we'll talk about but well also what order did you watch it in because i I feel like i watched them all in, in chronological order so you watched majestic first yeah interesting yeah and like, no, i haven't 
Evan, had you seen Majestic before this? I saw it in theaters in love, 2001, love but I was in eighth grade and there was some theater smooching going on. Uh-oh. So Uh-oh. I remembered. Smooching. Well, it was really funny because like I was like, oh, you know what? I'm excited to watch this one. I'll put it on. My girlfriend and I'll sit together. We'll watch it. And like, I remember this movie so fondly. I don't think I saw like four minutes of the entire two and a half hour film when I was 14, 13. Uh, and so it was I was seeing it for the first time, basically. Yeah. Um, now, however, I watched it after Fun with Dick and Jane and Dark Crimes. So it was such a relief. Sure. To watch. Uh, it's a bit of a tonic. Yeah. It's like, but yeah, again, yeah. It, it it's it like harmless, uh, fine. There were, you know, maybe two really great moments that I loved. And I was like, this is OK. This does it for me. That's like it It has earned its two and a half hours of my life. Uh, the piano scene, basically, where he's, you know, they do the like, oh, he doesn't know how to play piano. And old Luke knew how to play the piano. The person who he uh, the whole town thinks he is. Yeah. And he sits down and he starts playing and he can't play the classic like. Luke used to, but then. Really, Luke? That's no way to treat Mr. List. Stop that. Stop it, stop it, I say. Who taught you to play like that? I demand to know. Where on earth did you learn to play such a thing? I taught him that. When you weren't looking. (laughs) But he's playing that cool jazz. The cool jazz just comes out of his fingers and people are dancing on tables and stuff. And that was just like, I I thought that was a, I I believe I wrote down, this is an absolute delight. (laughs) Well, and that's, and that, that is like, that is where you get a little bit of that comedy. Right. Yeah. The movie needs more of, because it's like, then you have the dude who is the usher for the theater, who we should get that actor's name because he's very good in it. He he saves Peter Appleton because he realizes in that moment that, because like basically the piano teacher of the town is like, come on, Luke, you always knew how to play the classics so well. Like you can't remember. And everybody's looking at him and they're like, oh, what's going on? And then he starts playing the jazz and she's getting all bent out of shape because she's like, that's not what I taught you. How dare you play that music? And then the old usher's like, I taught him that when you weren't looking. And of course, he's the one black character in the movie who taught Luke, you know, the cool jazz, which <laughs> I mean, I suppose if you're really trying to make an old movie, you could just go ahead and do that, which it, uh, you know, in that respect. Is, yeah. That, that was his his character sort of skirting into the magical black man territory kind of was the only thing about this movie that I was like, Ugh. but that whole scene, for instance, um, and I can't um, I'm looking on IMDb for his name. No, his, I got his name. His name is Jerry Black. Oh, and okay. it's it's so weird because his character's name, which I this is to me. I don't know. I always want to know why, why people make these decisions. His character's name is Emmett Smith, which it just. You know, the famous running back. <laughs> yeah. Like, why do you call the character? Yeah. Whatever. But that feels yeah, so, like something that they put in as a placeholder. Like yeah, like maybe Darabont's like a really big Cowboys yeah, fan. Some, he just like s- put in something like that. Or maybe he's I, like me and has never heard the name heard Emmett Smith, Emmett Smith. before. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's, he's one of the or seven not a people in the world. Yeah. Right. The, it's uh, like the one Frank thing... Darabont, Evan Waddles. The one thing about this movie that, uh, particularly like with that scene that made it jump out at me is like uh 
if you take, I, I think there's one thing you could change about this movie and you fix a lot of its problems. I think if you make Peter Appleton a little less likable and maybe a little bit more of a cad so that, so that Carrie can use maybe a little bit more of his like manic energy a little bit, um, by simply not having amnesia like by him actually knowing exactly who he is knowing what he's doing and he just is conning these people the whole time and i think that makes the movie like just maybe not i don't know if it fixes all of its problems but i think it at least makes it like 25 percent more interesting it also makes it a redemption story uh which is just way more interesting because you're also, and you're also getting rid of the silliness of the amnesia. You know right. what I mean? Like now, again, if Darabont is making like a, a Capra movie, right? That's something one of those movies would have done because they just would have been like amnesia. You know, like they didn't yeah. fucking know how amnesia worked or whatever. So it bump them on the head again to bring back yeah, the memory. No, ex- exactly. So it definitely like I maybe it kind of works in that regard, but I just feel like it uh, because the amnesia is so vague and and you know they don't really even go into it no nor should they i feel like just get rid of it and make it way more sort of dynamic with him actually being sort of a little scummier and like a little bit more of a liar liar um quick sh- <laughs> and well, well done Sarah. well done i'm done um <laughs> one of um just a quick shout out to the female actress in the movie within the movie it was it's amanda detmer which i don't know if you guys remember amanda detmer but she was saving in, silverman bro um, cl- yeah dude yeah. saving silverman that was a big movie for me yep. saving silverman that was i still sadly still say the line uh when i'm having nachos and other people are sharing them with me i if, go if yeah. it's all stuck together that's one nacho there there are, yeah, there are sort of Jack unfortunately Black. a couple lines from that movie that i have, like, stayed in my uh in my repertoire that should probably be erased forever <laughs> i uh i was just in hawaii and like every other street there is named like kamehameha and so i was just yelling like jack black the entire time and <laughs> oh, finally I my girlfriend it. was like what are you referencing and i was like saving silverman obviously <laughs> <laughs> the hit movie yeah. saving silverman <laughs> um but yeah, she, well, she because she also uh, sorry to go back to Saving Silverman's Amanda Detmer. She plays Carrie's girlfriend who leaves him once he gets blacklisted. Yes, uh, so yes. she's yeah she's in the movie. That movie also random shout out to another movie. I I couldn't I was trying to see if this was a direct reference, um, and I couldn't find it anywhere. But it is it does just vibe weirdly similar to a Burt Lancaster movie called Rope of Sand. Um, which is kind of like a the movie within a movie does yeah yeah, yeah right uh, yeah. which I I wound up it's it's kind of funny because like I when I had seen that movie finally it was like on Netflix at some point a few years ago when they still had old movies um, and I wound up watching it and my first thought sort of kind of ashamedly was I was like oh this is like Sam Pirates of the Sahara like I like referenced it as if it was like as if it was like a uh an, an actual movie but um but yeah but no I'm an idiot so it's fine bag of sand come on man <laughs> but yeah I mean so I, I I suppose we could kind of spoil the majestic we don't really need to I mean basically he does get his memory back right he has to reconcile with the fact that he's obviously not Luke Trimble um um, we should mention the female lead in this movie is Lori Holden. 
um, who he dated briefly, right, Connor? And it's a little weird because he also dated Lauren Holly, yeah. and they look a lot alike. Yeah, I was thought I was going crazy for like a minute because I was like, oh yeah, they I, like they. She looks very similar to Lauren Holly, and, and for a second, Lori Holden is also in Dumb and Dumber Two. Yes. And, yeah. ha- and her name in Dumb and Dumber 2 is Adele, which is her name in The Majestic, which yeah. is just weird. It's 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 a, it, that whole thing. It kind of messed with my brain for a second because I and I had said to you, Dan, like I was like, oh, no, yeah, she was in Dumb and Dumber because yeah. she's also in the sequel. And like I haven't seen the sequel. So I just like assumed. Oh, and I, then, oh I've seen the sequel. <laughs> and then and then when I was watching uh, when I was like just digging through a bunch of different stuff, it was like it. It, it, there was an IMDb piece of trivia in one of these movies that brought it up and I was like ah they okay like they did date I wasn't crazy but uh yeah a little a little weird because if you were if you pull up a picture of them side by side they look very similar I she's also kind of like a uh like bootleg Uma Thurman oh, okay you know not like bummer, a bad like a high quality not like a bad quality bootleg you guys like edit this right <laughs> <laughs> or actually it. because you made that joke i'm gonna keep yeah, it, or, yeah, keep it i'm willing to wait, bet that I, makes it i uh, wanted to say though a funny thing with laurie holden though also when you think about frank darabont is she was in the walking dead yes yeah she was Which also like in the x-files thing. as uh marita Kovarabius uh in the <laughs> latter seasons not joking uh, in the latter no, seasons that people I'm skipped. I'm checking you right now. You're not joking. I, yeah. Yeah. What I love is like you said not joking as if after you say Marita, Maria. Kovarabius. I, go, well, I was going to be like, yeah, everyone. bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been so impressed if you just, you made, just made, made up that name. Um, but anyway. But, I don't know. I mean, so the like we said, the movie didn't do well. Um, and I think, I mean, it's interesting. He doesn't, he makes... Um, he makes Eternal Sunshine three years later. But even that is regarded as like probably one of his better dramatic performances. But it's like, I do feel like the Majestic is almost the end of the straightforward, oh, maybe Jim Carrey can make that Tom Hanks transition period. You know, because it's like the Truman Show, the Truman Show is like the real oh yeah here we go man on the moon is the year after yeah and he doesn't get nominated and that's like the shocker people thought he would i think he won the golden globe for comedy right like it seemed yep. like you might get nominated and then the majestic just kind of comes and goes and is relatively unseen and unliked and then that's kind of it right he kind of he retreats back to bruce almighty he has a surprise hit uh indie hit of eternal sunshine the michelle gondry movie of course but then that next year, 05, is fun with Dick and Jane, which is very I mean, that's Jim Carrey trying going right back to the well. Yeah. He he's like retreating back into being uh being Jim Carrey again. And, and let me and as a segue, fun with Dick and Jane. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I um I thought this movie was funnier. I like remember watching it. I I went into this rewatch kind of being like, well, I remember it was like a little funny. Like that was kind of, yeah. and let me tell you, listeners, no, no, it is not. I was shocked how not funny this movie was. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a really kind of a bummer because they, they seem like a good pairing. Right. Um, and I love Taylor. I think I'm a big rooting for Taylor person. I think she's same. kind of underrated. Me and Connor were talking. I rewatched the bad boys movies in an in an in frantic anticipation of bad boys for life <laughs> and i was reminded how much i liked taylor in that first bad boys movie anyway um 
to well, your point, Connor. I, I know, and I think um, I I think on paper they seem like a really good pairing. Um, I think maybe this movie's a maybe this movie is a little bit better if if you swap her out with someone who has maybe some more of like his manic comedy chops. Um, I don't know even who that would be necessarily. Like maybe it's like Leslie Mann, or it's um, you know I I don't know who else it would be like a Molly Shannon ish. Yeah, no, exactly. Like yeah, just somebody who maybe is a little bit. I mean, more Cameron ready Diaz. For, for Cameron like Diaz in 05 could have done some of that. You know, if you do a little mask reunion, that would have sure. been kind of cool. Sure, and I'm not trying to dog on Taya. Like it's not the the movie doesn't really do her any favors either. Um, I just that's like one thing that I think could could be helped maybe a little. Um, he I I watching this, I did kind of have like a little bit of like a I, I think I gave it like two stars on Letterboxd or something like that. But like yeah, merely because it was kind of just like, ah, he's like doing it, though, I guess like you look at it sort of in comparison with something like Bruce Almighty. So, you know, he still has it right. Like, you right. know, he still has that sort of classic Jim Carrey broad kind of slapsticky thing going on. Um, and even Connor, you're to your point though. Yes, man comes out after this, which is not a great movie by any means, but is even a little bit, I mean, it is funnier just as a concept that they capitalize off of more than this movie, right? Like, yeah. Yes Man comes out, I think, in 08, right? Or something like that. And it's like, it basically makes the same amount of money, right? It probably costs a little bit less than this. And even that one, it's not, it's no, like I said, it's no great shakes, but that's almost what I thought this movie was in rewatching it. And yeah. this is just not, like, I'll tell you, like, for me, the funniest part of the movie is when they're in the weird, um, like voice modulator in the all black. Yeah. It's and a, some of that's annoying. Do actually, we want to real quick? Do we want to just talk about real quick what it's about and give context? Well, yeah, I was just going to say, just to finish my thought, it's yeah. when he's doing the Domo Arigato to Jeff Garland. Yeah. That was like, for me, one of the highlights, which I feel like is a low light. I mean, that would be like the... 85th funniest it's like a, joke it is like a kind of a fun gag though like the idea yeah. that they you know they use the voice modulation and because they're so inexperienced at what they're doing they're like it's amusing having them and they're cracking it. up and yeah. having fun with it like I, I i i dug that see for me the only two parts that i even had like i didn't laugh it was a it was like a chortle yes that is you will the most of what comes <laughs> out chortle. of it. i chortled yeah. uh once at towards the end when he's like reaching in the ceiling and falls off the desk just because it was really oh, was solid yeah. physical comedy <laughs> yeah, uh, laughing, really. yeah, and the other funny. time i laughed was when they're fighting in the bedroom and he he calls uh dick calls jane taya as in taya leone as in really? by her name yeah does he made really? it into the edit yeah no i totally yeah i totally missed that when i watched it so the quick premise, this is a remake of the 1977 uh, comedy. And essentially the premise is um, a well-to-do kind of American upper middle class uh, couple and uh, with a kid. They find themselves in a precarious situation based uh, because the husband loses his job. And I think the circumstances change in between the two movies, but the idea is similar, right? Like in the remake, which came out in 05, it's kind of like a, not Enron, but something like that, right? That's the idea. It's like corporate malfeasance 
Uh, they pick Dick to be the fall guy. Obviously, Dick is Jim Carrey, and they lose everything. And it's you know not only do they lose his salary, but like all their stock options are roped into the corporation, and the corporation basically goes bankrupt. All this stuff, right? And Alec Baldwin, probably in his worst performance ever, right? Like he's uh, horrible. This yeah, movie. I mean, it's yeah, it's up there. It's I mean, it's it's top. It's bottom five. Which is sort know. of a bummer because it feels like good casting. I mean, like a lot of this movie, it feels like good casting on paper. Like, well, because he's like a George Bush parody throughout most of it. Yeah. And you would think that that would land wonderfully. Yeah. Kind of. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he definitely can be, I mean, you know, obviously the guy can be funny, right? But it, in this one, it just doesn't hit. But anyway, essentially what happens is they lose everything and they ultimately resort to robbing banks and convenience stores and then ultimately want to get back at at the people who took the job which is the corporation right so that's what the movie is it's a good premise right it's, you know it's got a little bit of social awareness there you know all that stuff and i'll be honest i don't love the original the original was kind of surprised little hit at the time um you know and you had Fonda and Siegel at that time were still stars, but they were their star was kind of fading at that time. So this was, I think, a welcome little success for both of them, you know, in 1977. So this, they everything they they up the ante for everything, right? Like you know, like it, it, it's 28 years later. And like, for example, the budget of this movie is a hundred million dollars. It's just like crazy Ugh. to me. Like, and obviously there's a lot of set pieces, so it makes sense, but it's like, just, I don't know, like, where does that money go? And it's just, well, it is, I mean, salary it is, yeah, that, is like 20 million. Yeah. And I guess point. Judd Apatow and Nick Stoller, um, are credited with writing the screenplay. That's the other crazy thing is, you know, that's a talented, that's well, a talented duo right there. But so here's my thing. I think that the biggest thing this movie suffers from is too many comedic cooks in the kitchen uh, and not right. enough clever alliteration. Um, the uh, <laughs> well the you have Apatow writing. You can like every joke that's in there. You're like, that's an Apatow joke. That's a Stoller joke. That's a Carrie joke. Because like Stoller was like strangers with candy and like, uh, you know, wrote that more kind of like satirical absurdist stuff apatow's more like straightforward sometimes gross out comedy and then jim carrey's just like stretch my butt cheeks and talk to you kind of guy you know well yeah more absurdist and, and also kind of... i mean it's directed by the dude who directed galaxy quest so like not it, like you're not working with people who on their own are, are wholly unfunny right no dean i mean look dean paris is a good director like I, I i mean straight up i think that red 2 which is the sequel to that movie red obviously <laughs> is better right you know what i mean like that's actually a pretty fun movie right and he's even directing that's part of the, the three third... colors trilogy right <laughs> three colors red three colors red too exactly yeah okay. <laughs> but that was the one kieslowski couldn't direct red too yeah. because he had so died. he was like so, dean buddy so <laughs> please <laughs> yeah. uh, that got morbid but like dean dean paris directed home fries which is a pretty fun movie if you remember that oh. movie with, uh, drew barrymore and luke wilson yeah and um he's directing bill and ted face the music he which is. is the third mm. bill and ted movie um oh and sad i didn't know this he was married to sally Menke, oh um, who's quentin tarantino's editor who R. died R. in 2010 poor one that's out. sad oh i didn't oh, know wow. that um uh, sorry dean that's sad anyway 
but yeah, it just doesn't, I don't know. This, this is a great example of a studio movie where it just doesn't gel, you know? And I, yeah. I wonder if they knew that when they were marketing it, it came out, it was a Christmas release, uh, 90 minutes long. Yeah. Like we said, 2005, Sony released it. It made 200 million worldwide, but it costs a hundred. So, I mean, after they marketed it, I would bet you it broke even, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think anybody did amazing off this one. Yeah. And this is kind of what we're talking about. This is kind of post Bruce almighty. It's like, it's kind of starting to fade like these types of movies. Right. And, um, following that it's like, like we said, yeah, 2008 is yes, man, which is similar to this. And I'll even tell you, right. Yes, man. I'm just looking right now. Yes, man. Yeah. Budget 70. It makes 220. So it's like a little bit of a bigger hit. Um, he does the voice of Horton in Horton. Here's a who. And then in between 08 and 05, he makes a little movie called the number 23. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, quick thing. I bought this movie sight unseen you when, fucking it, when it, idiot. when it came out. Um, it was just, I don't know. It was one of those things where like, you well, know. you love the you love Michael Jordan. You love the number twenty three. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, no, I'm a bit I'm a big Schumacher head, obviously. But Bad Company, <laughs> Veronica Guerin, well, Bad Company especially, dude. Um, no, but it I bought it sight unseen at like Walmart for like fifteen bucks or whatever. It was like one of those things where I just yeah you know, you buy things and you watch them and whatever. Um, I, it was stupid. So I own it still to this day. Uh, and when I rewatched it, I rewatched my DVD copy of it. Wow. <laughs> so now was okay. it the unrated director's cut with four extra minutes of romance? In it? <laughs> oh my god! Because that's what I watched. Uh, and no, it it's felt... it's actually the it, 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 but no, it's the it's the other Schumacher cut. It's the final cut. Um, oh, yeah, where he right. sort of rearranged it chronologically, and it's uh, it's 187 minutes long. Um, <laughs> They One released that in tandem with nine plus it's, it's called the number twenty four. Yeah. So. <laughs> they, they released that in tandem with the Alexander final cut that yeah. I own, which I which I do own. <laughs> um, anyway, sorry. Uh, yeah, it's I didn't like it then, but I kind of was like, eh, I don't know. He's trying a thing. It's I am a big fan of like schlocky Schumacher. Like I do. Uh, I do like Flatliners and uh, and Lost Boys. Um, so it's, you know, that I remember when I watched it back in 07, I was trying to like really hard watch it through like that lens, you know, of like, oh, yeah, it's Schumacher doing a thing, which is kind of cool or whatever. And it really just it didn't stick then and it doesn't stick now. Um, it is. uh it's basically it's he he plays a uh, actually Evan do you want to you were the one who made this uh, this connection he plays oh. a, a pet detective of sorts so uh, we've got we've got basically two storylines going on here Jim Carrey um, works in animal control uh, and owns a house which like starting off uh, it was difficult to swallow um then he uh his wife has some unexplained job but he regularly she's a a baker she's got a oh yeah she has she owns a bakery that's right i'm sorry but he calls her a genius a number of times which like you can be both she's the cake boss yeah she's the cake boss um he works in animal control 
I'm still laughing at the owns a house line. It's so he good. does. He it's owns eight, a house. They own a house, uh, 1814 something street. And check this out. One plus eight equals nine. Nine plus 14 equals 23. Oh, uh, that's like number, you know, 400 of the 900 references to the number 23 in this movie. Uh, Look, I mean, frankly, I would hope so. It's the title of the goddamn movie. I guess that's true. You know, like, I don't know. But so he 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 uh, gets a book for his birthday called the number 23. Uh, takes forever to read it, whereas his son reads like, it in one night. Like, He's literally reading like, it for weeks. The book is like 140 pages long. <laughs> yeah. It's a novella. It's not Look, even guys, novel. he's in animal control. That's true. Okay? It's not. You know, I'm not saying about pe- anything about people who work in animal control, but he just well, you maybe kind of, you kind of are. You kind of <laughs> are. He's not the cake genius like his wife is. Yeah, he's not the cake boss. But he's, he's confirmed the... not crazy by the animal the... control psychiatrist he has to see when a dog bites. Who is him. who is bad at her job? Yeah, she's very mean. Bad at her job. Um, yeah, Wait, we got to say so, the name of the guy who the guy. Oh, okay. The guy who wrote this movie is written by Fernley Phillips. Okay, which yes. is which, a, a, maybe the weird a sillier, thing is that is maybe a sillier no. name than Topsy Kretz or which, what, or one thing that's weird. or Robin Swallow <laughs> Sparrow. Robin Robin Sparrow. Sparrow. Sorry, <laughs> didn't mean to disrespect him with that silly, silly name. <laughs> Uh, Evan's over here um, blowing the mics out. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just have a lot to say yeah. about this movie. Uh, but honestly, the most fun film of the four for me to watch because it was just the girlfriend and I ragging on it nonstop for an hour and a half. Uh, but he, you know, so he gets the uh, he gets the book in the book. It's about this detective who's just so similar to him. And we're doing these cuts between animal control jim carrey and detective jim carrey and you're immediately like okay pet detective uh (laughs) and the detective is investigating a murder meanwhile jim carrey uncovers a real life murder and the book actually turns out to be a secret confession of whoever committed this murder uh, which is also the plot for dark crimes yes which is (laughs) that's that's the craziest thing is i watched the number 23 like the like one night after the other, I watched the number twenty three and Dark Crimes, and I was like, "Wait, wait, wait! He did it again ten years later. <laughs> it's the same. It it's the same. It's the same movie." And um, he just goes, he, "He's like, you know what? We need to do though. This time, it needs to be more violent and darker." Yeah, and not, we'll not to get ahead of ourselves, but I would venture to say he's a worse detective in Dark Crimes. Oh, for like sure, th- he's a worse actual detective in Dark Crimes than the fictional detective he plays in number 23 well let's use his name detective fingerling there's i and i said this to you dan (laughs) as i was watching it um i don't think we said so virginia madsen plays his wife and i actually i think i've probably brought this up i like virginia madsen i think well dude this is so virginia madsen i just want to say she got nominated for sideways right in 04 deservedly so Deservedly so. Yeah. She has a monologue in Sideways where she talks about how wine is re- is alive, right? That it's, a, it's one of the most memorable parts of Sideways. That monologue is so beautiful. That's such a beautiful, beautiful performance. 
and it was kind of like her comeback. She had made Candyman or yeah, Candyman in those movies and had been kind of, you know, a little popular, a little famous in the early 90s. And this was kind of her like, oh, yeah, fuck Virginia Madsen. Like, there she is. And then she capitalizes on it, obviously, as you do when you get that Oscar nomination. But then it's like shit like this. And you go, you're watching it and she's giving it her all. You know what I mean? In this movie, not unlike Jim Carrey, like they're both really like going for it. Yeah. And you just go like, wow, I, this is one of those scripts, right? I don't know if it was on the blacklist. I didn't look it up. I don't, I have no idea, but I think it speaks to sometimes, sometimes something can be overwritten, right? Like this, I would guarantee you was read by executives in one respect or another. And they thought this was going to be a banger. You know, yeah. like yeah. they were just like, oh, like, wow, yeah, I never thought about the number 23. Like, it feels like a Stephen Kingy type of a yeah. thing or something. Secret right? way. It's like a secret window kind of thing. Like, and yeah. even like, and even around this time, that Nick Cage movie, Knowing, right? The Alex Proyas movie is yeah. kind of the same movie, right? But it's even crazier. And not to shit on Jim Carrey, but Nick Cage is the better actor for that material. And knowing is a better movie. Yeah. It did better and it's more fun. Right? I think like, knowing I do people like knowing? I think it's kind of underrated. I've like, never yeah, seen I think, but but I don't want to say that I, I don't really know what the general consensus is in that movie. No, but like yeah. knowing was knowing didn't get amazing reviews, but it did okay. Yeah. And I just I feel like, you know, Preuss is one of those guys he did iRobot. Speaking of iRobot, he did Dark City. Ooh. And he did Gods of Egypt, which he might never make another movie again now because of Gods of Egypt. But he's kind of a visionary director. And I do feel he like... Probably, he probably would have directed the shit out of this movie. Well, actually. that's what I mean. I feel yeah. like this is where you go into the Schumacher thing where like, I think Joel Schumacher is actually a very capable director. And he's made a lot of interesting things. But I think when you get into this realm, it's like you're going to get Batman and Robin, which might not be the worst thing. I think Batman and Robin has weirdly aged well you know, as you move past it, the schlockiness almost is endearing now. Yeah, I think you find a lot of people say, but like, this is an example of like, that just doesn't work, right? Like it's too dark. It's too morose. And it's so silly where you go like, like, like what was the plan here? You know what I mean? Like who was driving the car? You don't really know. It's, like, I think when it gets, when it gets like dark and morose, I, I don't really think that's this movie's problem necessarily. Cause it is, there is, some sort of uh, charms, not the word, but definitely some sort of entertainment value to be had in watching Jim Carrey swing for the fences as this like comically goth detective, you know, <laughs> I, which I like it, it doesn't really work or gel, but that's sort of why it's like engaging to watch. But it's when the movie tries to get like actually tender and emotionally resonant that I feel like it fails miserably because but like, it's not nobody yeah, but it's in not the movie only feels that, like a though. real person. So you're watching like all of these not real people then get transposed into a fictional world as well. So everything about it just feels insane. They're also getting emotional about like things that make zero sense for their character and completely unrelatable situations and one person comforting someone when they find out that secretly they murdered someone a very long time ago. And you're like, right. why like le run away from this room? Person? Yeah. Yeah. That whole thing. Well, so basically, yeah, what you're talking about is what we find out in this movie, right? Is he, so Virginia Matson is Jim Carrey's wife. She gets him the book, the number 23 written by top secrets. <laughs> Wait, written by who? Who is, who is the author? 
Topsy Kretz. Oh, okay. It's so, oh. It's so stupid. Not like top secrets? No, not at all. Oh, okay. All right. That I must part, have misunderstood. That part of the movie. So so anyway, just to get to it, Jesus Christ. Just to get to it is so he, he starts reading the book at a snail's pace, one page a, one page a year, and he's like reading <laughs> up. Logan Lerman ages in real time in this movie because of it. Um, <laughs> and he like he like literally reads a page and he like turns to his wife. He's like, "Hey, this page is really good." And you're like, "Yo, bitch, just keep reading the book." Yeah. Anyway. And so and so um, he's reading the book. And he, it reminds him of his life and he gets really into it and he starts seeing the number 23 everywhere and he starts investigating this crime that is in the book that he realizes is like reflecting this potential real life crime. And what you learn is that you're meant to think for a moment that Virginia Madsen wrote the book. And then what you learn, of course, is that Jim Carrey wrote the book and he is the character in the novel and it's a confession where in 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 which he basically admits to killing his like college girlfriend, right? That's basically what it is. Yep. Or like his you know, his first girlfriend and burying her and getting away with it. And in getting away with it, another poor schmuck has been in prison for like a billion years. And in that scene, before he realizes this, he goes to visit that guy who's in prison. And that's the best scene of the whole movie where the dude goes, if I was going to write my confession in a book, I wouldn't name it. I wouldn't I wouldn't name the author Top Secrets. Don't pretend you don't know Top Secrets. I read your book. Tell me about the number. Is that why you killed her? I need to know. You have to tell me. I didn't kill Laura. I loved her. And I didn't write a book about a number. You're lying. I'm in prison for a crime I did not commit, Mr. Sparrow. Somehow I think your problems are bigger than mine. Fucking liar! If I was to write a book, I wouldn't use a ridiculous name like Top Secrets. <laughs> and Jim Carrey's like, oh, yeah, what? Like You're like, that wasn't the first thing you thought of with the character, with the author named Topsy Kretz? Well, oh my okay, God. here's the thing, is that we had already, by the time... I didn't realize it was top secret. No, no, no. Oh I, no, no. I was, I was just gonna say. But I only... think it's a trick that they pull, but it's like a super risky one because, like, it both feels obvious, but also could be a thing where it's like, no, if you just if you read it as top, because they show you the name on the book, right? Like when you just say the name. Wait, wait, you, guys, you, wait, guys. Wait, guys. Oh, sorry. Wait, but also, wait here's the thing. Neither of you, neither of you guys. No, no, no. I up. did, but I'm. I'm sort of defending Evan Thank here you, Connor. a little bit. Uh, I think I, I you might be confusing him with mildly Kretz. <laughs> this is top secrets, okay? Um, that we've already met the characters who all feel like they were named in a tenth grade English class. Yeah, like serious, serious Leary That's and Professor Phoenix. Like genuinely, all real yeah. names in the movie, and well, uh, his Professor name is his name Flinch. is Walter Sparrow, and right. his son's yeah. name is 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 Robin, Robin Sparrow, Sparrow. and kid. Agatha, his wife. Yeah, like come on. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're all they're all characters in a in a Penny Dreadful, right? Which is like right. maybe the intention, right? Which is well, no, which that is fine, would be I would know? bet. For, so Fernley Phillips, who I was going to say earlier, he sounds, is my. That's his real. He's like, Phillips. He's like, if Fernley I can't Phillips, have a normal name, nobody will. Is so. 
Fernley Phillips is my dad, which I meant to say earlier. But <laughs> yeah, Dan, you're Dan Mecca Fernley Phillips. The third. I changed. I changed my name just because you know when you have a writer in the family, you just want to make a name for yourself. Well, sure. that, and so, there were already three Fernley Phillips. In the well, that's uh, what so. Topsy Kretz's son did too. Yeah, he was yeah. like my. <laughs> his name is Joe. He changed his name to Joe Smith, but his name is originally <laughs> Miles Mildly Mildly Secrets. <laughs> That's oh, so anyway. Oh, this is so stupid. Just real quick, um, not to totally go off on a tangent, but this is um the second movie that Jim Carrey did with Joel Schumacher because they did Batman Forever together. Right. right. Yeah. The Riddler. Yeah. The Riddler. With the famous. In which, in which uh, Jim Carrey Jim Carrey said, What if I did the Riddler but played him as though he were the Joker? And, and clearly Tom Lee Jones did the same thing in that movie. He was like, What if oh, I played Two Face, but also the Joker? <laughs> I'm a big fan of. Uh, I'm a big fan of. Uh, not a big fan, but I am a fan of Batman Forever. I actually think that movie was kind of fun. I, I um, think they've both aged but, kind of well. But to the to the point we were talking about, that's kind of Joel Schumacher in schlock mode, and it works. Yeah. You know what you're saying. What you guys are saying is right. Like if this is a Penny Dreadful, right? Like where it's it's more gothic, and it's 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 not schlocky but campy, right? Like if I can kind of parse those two descriptors i think it works way better but as it stands it just is so silly do you know who i think the only person that succeeds in this movie is topsy kretz topsy kretz obviously <laughs> no danny houston i think is the only oh, yeah is the, i mean yeah is the only person who i think knows exactly what movie he's in in both halves of the movie um, well in fairness i think plays, Dan, i think no matter what movie he's danny houston is in. okay yeah uh, in, bo- no, in both stories dr yeah. phoenix is that his yeah, last name? That's his last name Jesus in the story. Uh, Kill this Phoenix. movie. Oh. No, dude, and his name in quote unquote real life is Isaac French. So we're not winning either way. Yeah, right? yeah. It, he's the only one. He's also got like a wonderful, horrible uh, piece of facial hair in the in the story oh, God, within the story. Right. Um, it's. I think he's kind of having fun here, and I think he he fits you know right into the world of like joel schumacher schlock like you you imagine you know maybe if if schumacher was going to get like another another veteran of his like maybe Kiefer sutherland was almost the doctor or something you know but I could um, totally now see that. now i will say jim carrey was nominated for a razzie for this movie but he lost to eddie murphy in norbit oh Ooh, that's okay. right so Which, i worked this at- is crazy to say uh he eddie murphy is better in norbit then. I don't know how much like it, I Carrie's Norbit not good, Carrie's is not not good in this movie, but it it's is. also not like I don't think it's like the worst performance in the world. I'm yeah, more mean, I, I think I'm more mean that Norbit is better than you think. Norbit's actually I I rewatched it like in the last couple of years, and it's not a why? great movie by any means, but there are some funny bits in it. Like more than some funny you know, you know, Norbit. You know who, who convinced me to rewatch it? <laughs> Our past guest, Nicholas Gray, is a defender of that movie. And I rewatched it. And it's not great or anything, but I um, I actually so I worked at Blockbuster when uh, both Norbit and the number 23 came out on DVD. And one of the things there was you had to destroy DVDs after like, you know, you took them off the new releases shelf. Uh, So I remember vividly shredding dozens of copies of Norbit and the number 23 and sneaking one of each home with me. (laughs) Oh, my God. And never viewing them. Uh Oh, they're coming until now. Yeah. Uh, oh god yeah delete that but <laughs> <laughs> no keeping it in um, Norbit, Norbit, 
Norbit was a hit though, as compared to number twenty three, which was a big, big, big flop. Did you guys? Did you guys spot the uh, the? And I promise that's not a dog pun, but the crazy Jaws shot in this of the bulldog, like in the middle of the road. Yeah, I dude, I recorded I st- it yeah, on I, my phone yeah, to send to you yeah, guys. No, I I paused it, rewound, laughed paused it rewound laughed again and like just sat on the shot for maybe a solid like five minutes before continuing the movie because i was just like i it's one of the moments in the movie so basically this dog that has bitten jim carrey and we sort of referenced him earlier this dog that has bit him his name is ned and he which adds up to 23 it does with the letters which yeah, 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 yeah yeah um the the, it's it, he basically it you know he he winds up becoming weirdly central to the plot because he you know is part of uncovering the the or he is related to the the dead he's woman. the real murderer he is yeah no <laughs> um but you know, jim carrey has just this like has just this like you know weird vendetta with him and whatever and there's a moment where they're driving in a car and the dog is sitting in the middle of the road and i think it's meant to be creepy but there's a part of me like i in my head i hope it's meant to be funny because it is hilarious like it is like and they just do this they do the 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 roy scheider jaws shot on the beach right like they do that that uh dolly zoom and it's hilarious and what had happened i just was like i maybe maybe schumacher like thinks he's making a certain movie here and he's just it's not it's a different movie but um yeah i don't i don't know this movie well jim carrey guns it in yeah no car toward the dog yeah, well, you're right like how that scene ends. And, and and to your point evan like there's just a way that people are behaving in this movie that's just not a way that any person would behave and like carrie carrie's character kind of gets a pass because he's supposed to be driven crazy you know by this thing i guess so maybe he gets a pass but to your point before like the way people are reacting to him as well are just not it's just not the way people would react to it like totally he's like he's reading this silly novel uh this rather novel novel that his wife got him he's (laughs) he's writing ridiculous stuff everywhere adding every random thing in his life up to the number 23 uh that uh, which like is very obnoxious how the movie flaunts itself as like Look at all this attention to detail we have here. But literally the only attention to detail is just working the number 23 into things. Yeah, it's Uh, right, right. It thinks it's layering things upon things almost in a way that, you know, people at the time would go back and like watch and rewatch like Fight Club. Right. Stuff that I love, like Lindelof style stuff. Yeah. Like this, this movie wants you to do that and it want and, and whatever the Fernley. Well, and this this is wants you to feel exactly that way. And it's, this is that time period too. Like lost is in full and full flex right now. Which was also big on the number 23 in lost classic lost. Yeah. Cause they, that's in lost too. Right. Yeah, in Lost, uh, uh, the you know twenty three and forty two are two of the numbers, which are a really big deal. Um, I don't know if you guys uh, are ever planning on doing a series on Lost, uh, but if you do, <laughs> I've got a lot we'll to have say. You back. Yeah, <laughs> but 
So uh, let me correct myself. The movie did better than I thought. It cost thirty, and it made just under eighty. So I mean, I'm sure it did fine. I don't, you know, I mean, but obviously, the expectations were a bit higher. Um, and then just like a weird thing, we said this already. Many years later, basically ten years later. Dark Crimes, right, which is our last movie, which there's no way you've seen if you're listening, right? Like, it's on Netflix now. I mean, so other maybe, than the Netflix thing, right? Like, yeah, maybe you've seen it on Netflix, yeah. but the movie, um, it was originally released um, before it got changed in 2018 as True Crimes, um, <clears throat> directed by Alexandros Avranas and written by Jeremy Brock. And it's based on this, and we've talked about him before on the podcast, it's based on a David Grant article from the New Yorker called True Crime, a postmodern murder mystery, which I read and I'll link to in the, in our article and is great about this convicted real life murderer, Christian Bala. And that came out in 2008. So this movie, which ultimately was titled dark crimes and then finally got released in the United States in 2019, um, stars Jim Carrey as a Polish, uh, detective who's loosely based on the detective in david grant's article um in the movie his name is Tadic, and essentially what the movie is about which is why we're, we're like the parallels to to number 23 are kind of funny in a way is essentially Tadic, jim carrey's character becomes convinced that this author kozlov played by martin sokos who you know he's been in a bunch of stuff has written a novel in which he is basically recounting and admitting to this horribly violent murder uh, from years past, which is if you in the David Grant article, that is what it is really happened. This Polish detective, there's a cold case, and he came upon he came he comes upon like a certain a bit of evidence, and he realizes this author Christian Bala wrote this book called Amok. That And then he, through research and evidence gathering, realizes that details of the crime in the book he could have only known had he been a detective on the case or the killer himself. So that's what the movie's about. So, like, I just said that. that If I'm listening, I think that sounds pretty cool, right? You know what I mean? Sure. It's like a yeah. cool idea for a movie. And not in a weird way and a little bit obviously different from the number 23, but it's almost in a way similar. It just is like just – insanely dark like literally dark too like aesthetically dark yeah. which number number 23 i will say if there's anything about the number 23 there are like these violent reds right which i mean you, you know, schumacher obviously does that all the time that is like something that the number 23 at least has there's a visual right? flair a flair to yeah, it right? yeah. The, look Maddie, there's some Maddie like Lebatique, yeah Maddie some, like cool animations yeah, like Maddie Libatique was the cinematographer and he's a great cinematographer. You know, he did stuff like A Star is Born, a bunch of other stuff. You know him, like, you know his work. He did the number 23. This movie, Dark Crimes, it's so like morose aesthetically as well. Like it's so gray and so like slow and there's nothing that captures you. You know, the director, Avranas, he like employs close-ups for some of the interrogation scenes that are effective and the lens he uses kind of is interesting, but... Other than that, it's very, like, it's a very stilted camera. And I don't know. Did you guys, I mean, Jim Carrey's doing a Polish accent, which is a whole nother thing. But he's doing what, some kind of sometimes. accent. Sometimes. Yeah. He's doing, what, there's a scene, I, there's a scene where he, like, almost sounds, I think it's the first scene he has with Charlotte Gainsbourg. 
Daniel Sadowski. Do you know this name? No. Did Mr. Kozlov ever give you reason to fear him? What do you mean? Did he frighten you? Threaten you? No. Sexually? No. He was never violent toward you? Don't ever talk in front of my daughter like that. Please. Who pays for your drugs? It's none of your business. What kind of work do you do? It's, it's really weird. I don't... I actually didn't like completely hate his performance in this, but it is no, neither did I. It's yeah, so I. hindered by the accent that, and I won't go into it because we talk about this a lot on the show. But it is one of those cases where I think like just just don't do it. Like so many people are doing different accents in this movie that like just right. just get rid of it. Right, and like Shardanes has no accent. Yeah, she's so, like, just you talking like herself. Do yeah. that, and not and not that, and like neither. I mean, Martin Sokus, you know, who just to kind of. Um, he is from, I'm just making sure I'm right. He's a New Zealand actor, right? So like, he's not doing, I don't think he's doing much of an accent either. You know, and like, and not to be, but like Polish is also one of those things. I know nothing about linguistics, but that feels like a hard accent. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, you know, it's not some overly common, you know, at least in, um, the media that we would normally watch is not some overly common accent you hear all the time. So I would imagine for an actor, that would be kind of hard to prepare for. And it almost feels in parts like the movie's cutting around the accent. Yeah. Like, and maybe it could be a possibility of him not having time to prepare because this was a written. I don't know if it ever went into any form of pre-production or production with this, but I know that it was supposed to be Christoph Waltz um, right. as Tadek. And he, so that, you know, again, I don't know enough about it to say if this is true, but that could be a possibility. Like maybe Carrie swoops in at the last minute to do the movie. Sure. And it's just a matter of him not having adequate time to prepare i don't again i don't think it like completely like ruins his performance like there were moments in this movie that i was like oh he's like doing a thing and he definitely like he reminds you uh how much he can do with his face even when he's not contorting it in a comedic fashion that i will agree with. um i weirdly think i think especially now that he's aged a little bit and weather a little bit um and i i think i've said this about a few people but you know, I, I think I would love to see him in a movie with somebody who can who like utilizes faces a little bit more. Like I, I, I also watched this sort of in conjunction because I was bouncing around Jim Carrey on Netflix uh, in conjunction with the Jim and Andy documentary. And right. a lot of the photography in that is is kind of reminiscent well, of it because you're just it you can like see the lines on his face and you can see right. the way his eyes are kind of moving even when they feel empty. And th- there's a lot of that in Dark Crimes, which I think is interesting well i would like think about him directed by mariel heller right who did beautiful day in the neighborhood and um you know uh can you ever forgive me from a couple years ago that would be an interesting combination because she directs actors so well and you know if you think about you know tom hanks in the movie you know what i mean i think she can do a lot uh with the performance and to your point i think the beard is really good for jim carrey in the movie you know his look his look in in dark crimes i actually really liked i thought it was like kind of a good yeah i don't know he 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 wore it well and was interesting looking i just think that like the the movie itself like it kind of does him no favors because it's such an unlikable character he's a bad detective and like to a point where like the movie even calls him out for being a bad detective like you know, well, and that's end. something that's something they add if you read the article they 
add that conflict, which is essentially in the movie Tadek fought for a promotion against a corrupt guy who got the promotion. And in, in competing with that guy, he's now been ostracized amongst the police force, right? So that's, that's like a whole nother part of it. And then, of course, you learn that that terrible, corrupt, you know, chief of police is involved in what becomes this larger conspiracy that ultimately Jim Carrey's uh, character uncovers. But in the meantime, he sleeps with one of his main witnesses, which is Charlotte Gainsbourg. This movie just treats women horribly. horribly. There, oh there's like this sex dungeon the, scenario. Yeah. The book on tape during breakfast. That okay, yeah, right. So he's he's yeah. listening to the to the to uh Koslov's it's Koslov, right? Is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's listening to Koslov's book, right? And as he's starting to kind of get, you know, more and more, which like doesn't it make you think like his character in number 23 should have just had a book on tape and he would have gotten through it way quicker totally (laughs) (laughs) but um but yeah no so he's he's listening to the book on tape and yeah and he has it on in the middle of breakfast with his wife and like his poor wife like he's clearly like a shitty husband um and she and the wife just like and the wife seems lovely and he's such a dick to her it's so weird and she's like do we have to listen to this during breakfast and he like scoffs and mind you the book is going like he cut out the entrails of the man and left the bloodied corpse yeah strewn it's and very like, it's a graphic book it's very graphic it's very, it's graphic. very gross and yeah. the woman's like like do we have to listen it, to this and, and think, he like storms out of the room all angry i think part of that is they they tee him up in in a way that i think they you know i think this movie tries to go for the trope of the yeah kind of sherlock holmesy right like like the like the shitty as in personality wise like shitty genius detective right? right like they even do the thing where they he's eating breakfast and he's like very particular about how he cuts his eggs that have been fried together and he's like very particular about separating the bacon and whatever and it's i, I think it's a trope you see in things and uh and you mentioned off mic evan about how like his desk is a mess Right. And like, I think that's another thing they try and like play into it. Like, you know, the, the whole thing of like geniuses being sloppy and whatever. But OCD in some ways, like he's very particular how he cuts his eggs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And his, his desk is a mess. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just big but, on attention to detail. Yeah, guys. of it's, course, uh, of course. Thanks. <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh, but he like he isn't that a good as a, enough that as a bit is perfect i love that anyway <laughs> he going. isn't a good enough detective to to justify it you know what i mean and like and when when the movie plays out you know there's certain extremely obvious things that he overlooks that uh that his supervisor basically calls him on and they're like what he's like you didn't you didn't look that up and it's like yeah like you didn't and it, he kind of realizes like oh no i guess i didn't and it's like yeah i don't know you suck like you, you're a bad detective this movie has and i don't think it's as bad as the snowman but it's got very similar mm, vibes very to the snowman. similar totally. very similar it doesn't have quite as many problems as that movie i think this movie's automatically better because i think this movie succeeds in at least make like meeting the definition of being a movie which i think the snowman <laughs> kind of like doesn't all but basically falls short on well it's like an, an incomplete story yeah, yeah but but it definitely uh i will say if we're comparing the two could have used to your point dan i think just a a better eye behind the camera in terms of like making it look a little more like something 
um and maybe just slightly more striking visuals and and characters like every every character in this movie feels like a version of a better character from another yeah. like crime thriller or um, just like all out parody like the author is this like it's like somebody read the first paragraph on Wikipedia about nihilism. Yeah. And they were like, oh, I get it. He, I'm going to write this character. Well, and, in, and, and it is one of those things in the New York, the New York article, you know, Christian Ball, who's the real life author and convicted killer. He was into that stuff. Like he was really into philosophy, really into nihilism. Right. And he kind of had this whole, you know, whole tract and, you know, it's covered in the book the real life novel Amok that I mentioned before where it's like, you know, he slept with all these women and his wife divorced him because he just was on this really like brutal streak of all these things. So the movie's obviously trying to rope all that together in a, in a narrative and they even kind of essentially go past the real life, you know, conclusion, which is that the author did it and they add these other elements, which I kind of alluded to earlier and it just, but by the time you get there in the movie, it doesn't matter. You don't care. You're not <laughs> yeah. invested. You, there's this twist at the end that, now let me just, I guess, spoilers for the next 30 seconds and then we can wrap this yeah, up. Yeah, if, like, if you don't want to, if you feel like watching the movie, which maybe, I mean, and it's, this, it's a, I would soft recommend it because I do think Carrie's kind of interesting in it. So if you're curious about it in that regard, it's only, it's not that long. So uh, uh, it you're feels not, it though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you're, you know, it, it's not the biggest time suck in the world. I would but, not, I, I would not watch this movie. But, I can't, do, I, I can't recommend. Um, but if you if you don't want to know how it ends for whatever reason, just jump ahead to one hour twenty two minutes and twenty three seconds, and we would be done talking about it. So here's a legitimate question: At the end of the movie, does she does Charlotte Gainsbourg kill Jim Carrey? Yeah, I, th I think I think the illusion so. is that she poisons him. Right, she poisons him. Yeah, so at the end, she's dead and drink before she okay. has her her monologue. And I I think the monologue, like it's it, it basically it's revealed right that that she is the one who killed uh, the guy in question, um, and um and that sort of her they're not married, right? They're just like no, together. Just like cares about no, her a lot. Yeah, they're like ex, they're exes, yeah. but Martin Sokus like still like, you know, checks in on her so and whatever. Martin Sokus' character is basically like he has been taking her story and and turning it into this yeah. book and that's, you know, and 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 is essentially like helping her by taking the like willingly taking the fall for it. Um, in order to keep her out of jail and with right. her daughter and uh, their daughter. And, um, and it's, I will say, I like, I, maybe if you're, if you're Charlotte Gainsbourg, like maybe this is the reason that you're like, Oh, I get to deliver this monologue. Like that's kind of whatever. But she basically gets like a villain monologue at the end that sort of reveals that she's the killer and why, and why she did it and whatever. And I suppose, I suppose it's the movie's idea of like some kind of a a counterbalance to the way this movie treats her and all of well, the women in it for the whole time. And not to but, mention, not to mention that Brett Ratner's production company produced this movie, which ooh, is ooh, also just an unfortunate thing. Yeah. You know, when you know, you know, the accusations against him, you know, so that's yeah. just a whole nother element of this where it's like, given the content, I don't know, this is just very skippable to me. I mean, look, here's the thing, you know, just kind of getting into like, 
you know, the now and then the future for Jim Carrey. I watched a few episodes of his Showtime show, Kidding, as we were prepping for this episode. That's kind of an interesting show. He's playing kind of a Mr. Rogers type of character. There's a death to smoochy kind of element to it as well. Michelle Gondry oversaw production, I think, of at least that first season. It's pretty interesting. It's visually engaging. There's some point, good behind the scenes uh, videos that I think like went viral. Of the like one yeah. shot thing. Yeah, there's yeah. some so oh, yeah, yeah, very they're, they're, Gondry type of stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's some cool stuff that's worth seeking out about that show uh, in that regard. If you're if you're interested. Uh, and and to your point, Connor, like Jim Carrey's face, it's older. Right in that show, he plays kind of the sad character. That's interesting. He's a, he's a great actor. I mean, he's a great actor. So that's a reason to watch it. He also produced that stand-up drama show i'm dying up here which i think had two seasons for showtime so he's done stuff for showtime he's obviously in the sonic the hedgehog movie which if you're listening is either out or just about to be out in which he plays dr robotnik and that feels like a kind of a very you know easy you know play the villain role and hopefully is entertaining yeah, at it's the very a little least. grinchy feels like him yeah doing sure. that kind a of grinchy, a lim- little yeah. snickety yeah yeah, exactly. Right, we didn't even mention Lemony Snickets, which that was one that came out in 04 and that also underperformed, right? So that's, you know, he's in heavy makeup in that movie and that similarly cost a lot of money and didn't make as much as people thought. So that's it. Like, you know, his shtick got old. It really did. And so I think it's interesting now that we're in 2020. This hopefully, I mean, look, the dude, there's a lot of stuff people say about this guy. He's got, you know, he had the weird, he had the girlfriend and the, you know, the, the, uh, the vaxxing element, right to the, you know, all these kind of sad elements to his kind of later in life situation. All that being said, right, we can't really speak to a lot of that, but he seems like an interesting guy, right? He does this artwork now. He's gotten a little bit more political. You want to see him you kind of move in and through his fifties and into his sixties and become one of these comedians who maybe has like, you know, I don't know, a back half where he kind of, you know, drops in not something that would maybe be in a dark crimes, but you know, without the Polish accent and without the turgid narrative, you know yeah. what I mean? Like something that's a little bit more engaging. Yeah, I feel I, like, I think like, and I, I do just want to give a quick shout out. He has a tiny, like wordless role in um the in bad the bad batch, batch which yeah, that's I think good. he's actually really good in, and I do think it's in a, a great example of like him bringing his weird energy to a role that like would seemingly require nothing from anybody, and it partly works because it's him. Like where you have a moment where you're like, is that fucking is that is that Jim Carrey? You know, but well, in that but, movie, yeah, that's that's stunt casting. But it, that's a movie. I I it, think the movie's I, very underrated. Yeah, 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 I, I like, like that, movie. that movie. I think Keanu's fun in that movie too. Um, Jason Momoa has got a cool little role in that. Yeah, yeah, I, I I dig that movie as well. But I think like, and again, Carrey's role is tiny, but it is just kind of a you know I don't know. I think a big thing for me with him is you know, and, and you you know, Dan, you brought up Sandler before as well, like. Y- they're not really they're not similar comedians, but they are uh, I, I think they've had obviously similar trajectories and that they've been, you know, mega hit box office comedy stars who every time they every time they seemingly, quote unquote, go serious or whatever you want to call it. You know, I think there's a world where people are like, eh, okay. like even when it's like stupid or doesn't work, there's always like, I think just some at least raised eyebrows at it uh, for better or worse. Um and I, I also think that just ties into generally, I think audiences 
are always kind of like you know I, I either one of two things they're either i think outright dismissive when a traditional comedy actor decides to go serious or they're like automatically interested right because it's like a it's like a different thing um and i think that he where he succeeded the most in his more dramatic work are the roles that kind of lock into his manic energy i think it's why eternal sunshine works as well as it does i think it's why him doing sort of you know like walking his way you know sort of conning his way through i love you philip morris um works really well um and i think that you know obviously with man on the moon which like if you watch jimmy and andy all the famously publicized behind the scenes stuff with that um it's you know that stuff as somebody who works in i mean we all work in production that stuff to me is a little hard to swallow because like i can't help but think of all the people that just had to fucking live with all that but when you watch the movie he's clearly amazing in it right so at least what comes out the other end um works really well so my big thing uh which i'm very interested to hear uh both of your thoughts on but i i feel like you can easily sum up why these four movies don't work uh maybe less so fun with dick and jane but but certainly like the majestic and definitely number 23 and dark crimes is uh much in the same way that this applies to sandler you need to be able to imagine the character he's playing having an ace ventura-esque freak out and if <laughs> sure. I if I can't see sure. like even, uh you know, he, he was like kind of shy and meek as Joel, I believe, in, in Eternal yeah, Sunshine. Sunshine yeah. Joel Barish. Yeah. But you could see Joel like coming out of his shell one day and just doing like the best Ace Ventura impression. Uh, Truman, you know, very like a, a very like rubbery body kind of guy. And you could totally see him doing that. Tadek in Dark Crimes. <laughs> could not you know he could maybe do an impression of a, a park bench uh but that's <laughs> yeah, he's about like it. not a human right exactly yeah. like you can't see these people embracing a silliness uh and i think that's what makes it so like in ineffective for me i think that's part of in speaking at least directly to number 23 part of the reason that fails is that like he's trying to play it so regular like right. So right. just like every man that it's like, he just, it's not a quality he really ever had. Um, and not in a bad way. It's just, I, I just think it's not part of his sort of toolbox. You know? Right. You're an over the top human. We know that. And we can't see you as anything else. Like don't try and be something else now. Right. You know? And I think the only with a lot of actors like that who are I and I always it's kind of funny, like to me, one of the funniest jokes in Liar Liar isn't in the actual movie, but in the outtakes when she calls him an overactor. And he like oh Susie and, yeah Susie Kurtz yeah, yeah overactor yeah yeah it's fucking great yeah, I, yeah. and I, she blames it and she blames it on Tom Shady yeah it's, it's so good it's a great little moment and I I lose it every time at that specifically but because he is kind of an overactor and right. that's and that's obviously to to a certain degree depending on who you ask that's part of his charm and I think what makes the more you know dramatic roles work is when you're bottling that overacting up and you're and you're like waiting for like a, you're like oh okay like because because that's something we can all relate to. yeah like no, no, Connor, no, you and i have had discussions about being the real life overactors you know sure 
Sure, we peacock. We peacock. Yeah, that's exactly what it. I call yeah. it the shoe salesman. Sure. No, no, no. We. Hey, yeah, we, what's going on, we, everybody? We, you we, know, we peacock. And you see him doing that, and you're like, I get this. I understand this character. Yeah, there are, and I will say, I not to keep going back to it, but I do think it's just it is a good insight to I think how he thinks of himself, and yeah. Uh, but in Jim and Andy, he talks a little bit about that, about how like you know he would he would do these things or behave a certain way in front of people and then after the fact realize like oh i think i overdid like i like oh i let it out too much and that well, look, yeah, that's what but, i loved about that documentary and right most of the interviews he's given since then is like he says all this stuff that's about jim carrey and you can step away from it and be like you know what like i'm i'm often playing the character of me Right, like what to him, like Jim Carrey is not, is not a real person. Right, yeah. right. And he's and, like, all I am is a, a brain with ideas and opinions, and that means nothing. Yeah. And like, it gets real out there, but I love that. Yeah, and it's, I, I think, you know, de it, it, depending on the lens you watch it through, it can feel kind of, I, I think it can feel a little pretentious, maybe. Sure. But I, I don't know, what, to me at least, like when I watch that documentary and, and when you see him, you know, give these interviews now, they're seemingly very candid, like even if it's out there, like he's being earnest. Like right. I think there's, that's the dude that that's the real dude. You there's, know, like there's not an ego or an arrogance about it. There's a, a pride in it for sure, but there's not this like I'm better than you because I've realized it. Uh, and that's that's like what what I appreciate about mm -hmm. it and why I'll always give him a pass. And and you I we kind of buried the lead a little bit, but you have met Jim Carrey. Uh, oh, Jimmy? Yeah. 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 You're right. Yeah. <laughs> James? Yeah. Jimmy C. Um, I have. And he, uh, it was just an unbelievably pleasant and surreal experience. And he talked to me. Uh, it was a very, it was a strange situation. And Moby was also there. Uh, <laughs> and I saw him talk to Moby later. And he spoke to me the exact same way he spoke to Moby, which either means that he's a really nice guy and down to earth with everyone or he thinks moby and evan cutler waddles are on the same level <laughs> <laughs> yeah like either he doesn't think anything of moby right or he mistook you for someone very famous yeah <laughs> uh which you know which you are scarlett you're, johansson well, and i do look a lot he alike. he saw you and he was like oh you're evan almighty right exactly yeah. exactly mm -hmm. of course um but yeah so i mean obviously that helps uh shade my perspective of him too because i'm like oh he's great he loves me we're basically <laughs> your buds your buds yeah. um you're not vaccinating your children because of him well, exactly. um but um but yeah i mean i don't it, it, these movies were kind of interesting to watch just kind of the the gamut of of swings and and misses and and attempts at returns to form right with something like dick and jane and all that and in and, and him even kind of swinging and missing in that regard um, I can't say that I have particularly high hopes for Sonic the Hedgehog. Really, I mean, I was someone no. as a kid. I like, I love, I did love those video games. But like, like most video games, particularly the old, the further back you go, it's like, how do you adapt them? Well, well there I was think, a I TV mean, show that was really fun. I, I'm saying that I was five years old. Yeah, I I vaguely <laughs> remember with Jaleel White as Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh yeah, yeah. Jaleel White did the voice of Sonic. Dead Who Trump. me and Connor worked with? Yeah, Jaleel White. Yeah. Oh. Um, and, and he, he was spoke very nice to well. you the same way he spoke to Moby. He did. He well, yeah. Did. Weirdly, Moby Sonic was also on that. Voice. Right. Moby was on that set yeah. as well. That's true. Um, but no, like in terms of what we want to see from Jim Carrey in the future, this is a hard one for me because it's really like 
aside from him working with a Mariel Heller or something, like I don't really have much of an expectation, right? Like it does feel like he's in this almost like post Jim Carrey part and almost to his own, right? Like we're talking about in his own interviews, like almost like post Jim Carrey, the actor, the comedian part of his career. So if he keeps, you know, painting and just kind of being a, celebrity on the fringes i feel like that's fine i mean you know what i mean i don't know i don't know that we need much more i mean he's given us i mean frankly like i said before the truman show is one of my favorite movies he's given us that a lot of people a lot of people love eternal sunshine um you know he's given us that he's given us a lot of those comedies from the 90s and the early aughts so i mean i don't know that we need much more from him you know and if we were to get anything yeah i would hope it would be you know instead of a dark crimes It'd be something a little bit more focused and a little bit kind of maybe more inward facing. I would imagine that's what it would be, right? I mean, other than him doing these supporting roles in bigger movies like Sonic the Hedgehog, if he was going to really go all in on something, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, he, it was, you know, inward looking, philosophical, maybe a little weird, maybe not great, but I, I'm down for that. Like, I'd like to see that movie, you know, and I... To your point, Connor, the Jim and Andy doc, it's fascinating. It's a little hard to watch if you're in the industry, just knowing kind of what those PAs probably had to go through, right, what those right. other, you know, what those producers, what those ADs had to deal with. That being said, Man on the Moon is an amazing performance. Definitely check it out if you haven't. The Milos Forman, the, the Milos Forman movie. I mean, it's something to behold. Um, but yeah, I mean, what about you guys? Do you care? I mean, do you have any investment in stuff you might do in the future or? I- I, I mean, like any, I think like any of the actors that we grew up with, right? And I think I mentioned this on the Adam Sandler pod, like, he, like, you show me Jim Carrey dipping his toe in something that's not Jim Carrey from 1994, and I'm always going to, like, bite a little. Like, do you know what I mean? I'm always just going to be like, oh, okay. Like, you know, I, frankly, like, I ignored Dark Crimes until we had to watch it for this thing. I, you know, I could take it or leave it. It's whatever. But um but you know like if if we got the equivalent of like an uncut gems you know from from jim carrey like if 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 i saw a trailer tomorrow for something like that and it was directed by like an interesting director I, that would you know that would fill me with a little bit of hope i don't necessarily like to your point dan i don't know if i need it but like i think if, if the ingredients were promising enough i would you know I, I I would always certainly kind of just at least be morbidly curious. So Evan, like, what do you think? What would you, is there anything you'd want to see him do? So I feel like in terms of uh, things that he has given me, uh, he's given me a lot and I, like enough, you know? So anything he does on top of this that's good is a bonus. Anything he does on top exactly. of this that is yeah. bad is excusable because like at the end of the day like he still trumaned me he still <laughs> eternal sunshine me which like not my favorite movie now but when i was you know 16 when that came out that was like game changer yeah. uh and like the perfect like high school date movie uh and yeah so like i'll continue to follow him i'll continue to watch interviews with him because i think that's like you want to see where he really shines right now. It's him making interviewers uncomfortable, uh, but not totally. doing it in a mean way, which is just beautiful yeah. to and, watch. And doing it by being completely earnest and transparent and serious. And you, and I, I think people are just kind of like, oh. Like moving a chair yeah. back like seven feet mid-interview and saying, 
I just want to see what it's like from back here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so we'll look forward to more of that. I think a Sonic the Hedgehog comes out. We'll probably, you probably, listener, have seen some of that as you're listening already. Um, Connor, tell us where everybody can be found. So, yeah, you can find find me on Twitter at ScruffyLooking. You can find this podcast uh, on Facebook and Twitter uh, at TFSBside. Um, feel free to follow us, rate, review, subscribe, obviously take a listen to our backlog and, uh, pop on over. If you haven't to the film stage show, they kindly, you know, hosted, hosted our episodes for, for a while there and, uh, and give them a, a like and a listen, uh, as well. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed my Sundance reviews. If you're listening now, um, I am at DJ Mecca. Um, and yeah, we, we're probably wrapping up our Sundance coverage or have just wrapped up uh, as we speak. Evan, uh, we can follow you at, at Donald J. Trump. Is that right? Uh, at Donald J. Trump fan uh, backslash hunk king. Um, oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah. I'm so at, just, at, I mean, at top at, secrets. At top secrets. <laughs> at for at fernley phillips at fernley phillips um i am fernley phillips is the reveal at the twist ending of this podcast uh i'm just i'm evan cutler waddles on everything uh i'm not on twitter if you just search silent face that brings you to most yeah that's your that's your shingle that's my my uh that's your silent face dot net yeah, you do a lot of cool stuff. Evan is, like we said before, he's a talented filmmaker in New York. He's done a lot of cool stuff. He's done a lot of cool stuff for us in our professional life. And Evan was there when I made my first feature film um, many, 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 many years ago. He was, right. he was, uh, he was a he was, he was there in my grandparents' basement when we wrapped that that 20-day shoot. I That's right. I was in the movie, yeah. too, as Evan. You're in the movie. I think yeah. everybody who worked on the movie was in the movie at some yeah. point, maybe. Evan, we we gave Evan a monologue because we because I was like so into his little, uh, your little mannerisms. I was like, dude, mind. let's give this dude a monologue. Yeah. Um, and look at you now. Like well, and now. that that monologue was famously inspired by Walter Sparrow from Number Twenty Three's <laughs> uh, famous quote: "It's not the happiest of endings, but it's the right one." Boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-